welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. And so, since it's Christmas time, our series, as Pastor John mentioned early on, we're starting a series called The Joy of Christmas. So over the next four Sundays, we're going to have topics around joy and what that means. And this morning, in particular, we're going to talk about sharing the joy. Uh, There's no doubt Christmas time is a, is a, a time of sharing, right? a time of giving. We share our Christmas lights, if you put them outside your house, you share Christmas lights and you share Christmas cookies and uh, if you're like me, you share Christmas music, not always to the liking of everybody else. I know I started uh, playing Christmas music in my office at work and I'm sure my coworkers are going to close my door soon, but I like to share, uh, share the joy of Christmas. And so we're going to look at a text this morning that I think really talks about sharing the joy But what is it? What is the joy of Christmas? And again, as we go over these studies the next few weeks, we'll talk about that and pray that you would learn a little bit more about really what exactly is that joy. So this morning, let's start by looking at the Gospel of John. So turn turn there with me to uh, Gospel of Luke, sorry. Luke. Luke chapter 1. We're going to talk about John, but we're in Luke. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 5 through 17. 5 through 17, so let's turn there. All right, so let me read. This is the story of John the Baptist, and we're going to read the first 15 verses and then uh, come back and discuss them, and we're going to eventually read up to verse 17. But let's talk about this joy and you'll see at the very beginning, we're going to read about the, uh, the announcement of his birth. So let's read that. Starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son And you will give him the name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. 
and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So let's stop right there. So here we have the birth announcement of a child to Elizabeth and Zacharias. And so very early on, we, the uh, Gospel of Luke establishes the godly ancestry of John, who comes from Elizabeth and Zacharias, who are both from priestly families. So they're a godly ancestry. Uh, and it says that they were both righteous in the sight of God. Not just man, right? So it wasn't just that they were good in front of people. They were right in front of God. This is a very high praise about his parents. They were, uh, they were the real thing. They walked blamelessly, Scripture says, in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. So Luke is building them up as these are some pretty godly people. And you would think because they're godly, or at least sometimes we believe in our, in our understanding of godliness, that God should give them whatever they want, right? If you're doing what's right for God, then God kind of, kind of owes you, so to speak. And so I think Luke is trying to give us this little contrast here of this godliness of these people, but yet they didn't have something. Because the very next verse, after describing who they were in verse 7, says, but they had... No children. One of, the, there we go. Oh, yeah. One of the things about ancient Israel, especially their culture, children were a blessing from the Lord. So if a woman, a particular family, uh, was without children, then they must have had maybe the curse of God on them. Or God didn't look favorably upon them. But here Luke is saying, no, these people are righteous. They're from the priestly class. They're righteous, not just in front of people, but in front of God. But yet, they have no children. And obviously, this is because God was going to do a miraculous thing for them. The other thing that's miraculous is that they said that they were advanced in years, which basically is a nice way of calling somebody old. So instead of calling your parents old, say, man, you are advanced in years, dad. That's to nobody in particular in my family who likes to call me old all the time. So hopefully that kid will say you're advanced in years from now on. <clears throat> so it's a miracle, right? They're old people, or the advanced in years people. Um, they're barren, so how can they have a child? What is going on? Why is God doing this to them? But yet we're told that they constantly prayed later on in the chapter. They prayed often because the angels, remember, he says, God heard your prayers. So just a reminder to us, no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what our situation, continue to pray. Who knows what God is doing behind the scenes? So Zechariah, in the meantime, Zechariah doesn't give up, right? He doesn't go, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I give up. I'm leaving the priesthood. Me and Elizabeth, we're, you know, we're leaving Jerusalem or wherever they lived, and we're just going to do things our way. No, they continued to serve the Lord, and Zacharias continued to serve in the temple. And we're told here that one of the things that he was chosen to do was enter into the temple and burn incense, and this was a privileged thing. Only two priests a day were allowed to do this. One in the morning and one at the e in the evening were allowed to go into the temple and make sure that incense was continually burning because incense represented the prayers of God's people, prayers of repentance, of confession, and thanksgiving. 
So Zechariah, even though things are not going his way, he continues to serve God. And in the midst of that, an angel finally appears, going back to our text now. And I want to look at his message one more time. Look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. So he's doing God's work, doing his service to God. And God sends an angel to him. And like all angels, when they appear before somebody, their first message is always this. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because it is a scary thing, I'm sure, I've never seen one, to see an angel of the Lord standing before you. That would be frightening. So the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zachariah. I'm from God. He says, your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So what does that mean? What does John mean? I think there's a message even in John's name. You may be aware of this, but John means God is gracious. And it's evident in a number of ways in the text this morning where God is gracious to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Let me just point out a few of these. God is gracious, first of all, to them by giving them a child. Remember, they're advanced in years. They're probably beyond childbearing age. But God graciously gives them a son. And so their son will be a reminder to them of how gracious God is. Not only will he be a reminder of him physically, but just his name, John. God is gracious. Psalm 127, verse 5 reminds us, it says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And I would venture to say every parent in this room or parent-to-be would say children are a gift from God. Children are a great blessing to their parents. And, And they bring much joy, which we'll talk about in a few moments. So not only... Is God gracious in giving an old uh, couple a child? God is gracious to this old righteous couple by giving them the joy of a child who would serve the Lord with his life. They would be proud parents because who their child will be. Proverbs 23 verses 24 through 25 says this, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. This is speaking of parents. Parents are joyful when their children are doing the right thing. Right, parents? When our children are are good. Even more so when they're serving God. Especially for those of you out there as godly parents who have children, you desire nothing else that your child will serve God all their life. I know that is, that is every Christian parent's prayer. Not that they will find the right spouse, we do pray that, or that they will have a great job, but number one, at least we've told our children, is that you are the most important thing that you can do is to serve God with your life, your entire life. Serve God and then do whatever you want after that. Loosely, you know, 
as long as it's within God's commands. You will. But if you love God and you serve God, you're going to do what God wants you to do. That's the main point. Right? Scripture tells us, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So great, you have a great career. You have a great spouse. You have great friends, a home, a car, but you don't have the Lord. There is nothing greater for a parent to know that their child serves the Lord. And that's what Proverbs is telling us. And in the text, Elizabeth and Zacharias are told that, that their child is going to be great. Look at verse 15 again in the text. For he will be great. Not just great, but he will be great where? In the sight of the Lord. And that great is talking about his rank about who he will be in God's eyes. He will be great in God's eyes because being great in the world's eyes doesn't mean anything. It's being great in God's eyes that means the world. And that's why he says he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because the work that this child is going to carry out, he's going to carry out for the Lord. And Jesus echoes this sentiment later on about John in Matthew eleven eleven. You can just write this down. This is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Up until that point, Jesus said, this guy is the greatest thing that's been born. And why is he great? Well, he's great because of the ministry that he's going to have. Right? It's not just that he's a great guy, because not a lot of people like John, if you know the life of John, but it was his ministry for God that made him great. And his dedication to the Lord is in verse 15 is expanded upon. And there's some external evidence and internal evidence of his dedication to the Lord. In verse 15, it says, He will drink no wine and he will drink no liquor. Well, what, he's, what it's meaning there is he's taking the vow of a Nazarite. A Nazarite in the Old Testament dedicated themselves for maybe a portion or their entire life to just serve God. And so they weren't going to be filled with anything but God's Spirit. And so that's why it says, Hey, this is going to be John. He's going to be fully dedicated to serving God. He's not going to drink any wine. He will drink no liquor. The internal evidence would be this. He's going to be filled with the Spirit. Early on, it says that, verse 15 again, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So as a little child, before he's even born, while he's still in his mother's womb, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have evidence evidence of this in verse 44 later on in chapter 1 when Mary comes and she's pregnant to see Elizabeth. What does John do in the mother's womb? He leaps for joy. Elizabeth tells us that my son leapt for joy in my stomach. Evidence that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He recognized Jesus even though neither one of them had yet been born. And so this, again, is evidence of John's dedication to the Lord. He was filled with God's Spirit, and when he came out, he would be dedicated to serving God. So God is gracious, number one, in giving Elizabeth and Zacharias a child, but he's also um, gracious in saying, he's going to serve me. 
This child will serve me. And again, those of us who are parents would like nothing more to know that our children will serve God all their life. And it doesn't mean they have to take the Nazarite vow. right? It doesn't mean, hey, they're going to never cut their hair. There was more to it than that. Never eat a grape. You don't know. It just means they serve God no matter where they are, no matter what job they have, no matter what they do in their life. God is number one. And so that is John the Baptist here. And that's how God was gracious to him. And God is also gracious. And this is going to be the focus of the rest of our sermon this morning. God is also gracious because of what John's coming represents and what John's ministry would signify for the world. Look at verse 14 again in our text this morning. It says this, You will have joy and gladness, right? And so that's the joy and gladness that the parents get. We just talked about it. And many will rejoice at his birth. There's going to be a lot of people excited about John's birth. Why? What, because of what it signifies. Look at verses 16 and 17. This is the why. Why? This is why. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's ministry is one of sharing joy. John is called to share joy with the world. Right? His, what will his ministry and message be? He will turn back. It says in verse 16, He will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He will turn the hearts of their fathers back to their children. He will turn the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. All this speaks of conversion. He will call his nation to turn back to God. John is the, the last line or the last link of prophets between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He has a prophetic ministry to tell people to return back to the Lord. He's turning back in such a way that their ancestors will be proud. That's why it says that their hearts of their fathers will, will, uh, will turn the hearts of their fathers back to their children. He's talking about your ancestors will be proud of you. The opposite of that is when someone goes, oh, I bet you old so-and-so is rolling in their graves meaning they're not proud of what you're doing. They'd be ashamed of what you're doing. So when he says he turned the hearts of their fathers back to the children, that's what it's talking about, is that your ancestors, ancient Israel, will be glad that you've turned back to the Lord. So all those things are talking about his ministry being one of calling people to come back to the Lord, which will result in making them ready to receive the Lord Jesus because He is coming soon. And that's what John's ministry signifies. That the the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's how John will do that. John was given the power to share this message, to share this joy. Right? Verse 17 says he was going to be a, a prophet in the spirit and the power of Elijah who calls people back to the Lord. 
God is going to empower John through the Holy Spirit, give him the power of a prophet to go out and proclaim this message, this ministry to call his people back. Remember, John's filled with the Holy Spirit from an early age, well, before he's born, in his mother's womb. That's how he's able to do this. He has this, men, this ministry and this message that God has given him. He has a great task. And how does he do it? Well, God's going to fill him with his spirit, and he's given him the power of the prophet Elijah, who called people back to the Lord. So John was called to share this joy. John was given the power to share the joy. And John was given a message of joy. What exactly is that message that he was called to give? Well, again, he has a prophetic ministry. He's called here in verse 17. He's going to be a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And him meaning Jesus, the Messiah. So John's message was to announce the coming of the Messiah, that Messiah was coming. And again, this is why he's so great, because he's he's like the guy that goes out before the king comes and announces the king is coming. If you turn with me just a couple chapters to Luke chapter 3, and you look at verses 15 and 16, this is exactly um, what it says. Luke 3, 15 through 16. I think that's the wrong chapter. I love when I do that. I don't know what it is now. Anyways, you're just going to have to believe me. That's what it says. <laughs> I think it was a different, a, a different thing altogether. But anyways, Jesus, or, uh, John's going to announce that the Messiah was coming. right? He's saying, he's coming, and he also says, the one who's coming is greater than I. It wasn't about him. He wasn't great because of the ministry he had. He was great because of what he was saying. And he was going to announce that Jesus is coming. Uh, the verse that I was looking for, the people were saying, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we're supposed to look for? And he says, no, it's not me. There's one coming after me who is greater. So again, that was his prophetic ministry. And then later in chapter 1, if you look at verses 76 uh, through 77, this is um, a song sung about uh, John by his father, Zacharias. He too is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And this is what he says about his son in Luke chapter 1, verse 76. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God uh, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. John's ministry in preparing people for the Lord is to, t- is to give them the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, he was supposed to tell them that you earn salvation when you are forgiven by the Lord. That was the message, to prepare them for God. They need to repent and understand there is no salvation without the forgiveness of your sins. And later on in Luke, he says, it says of him that he's preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So not only was he saying, hey, you need to be forgiven of your sins, 
But how are you forgiven of your sins? By repenting of them. By crying out to the Lord and saying, I recognize that I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That was John's message. Uh, if you read his story in the other Gospels and even in Luke. That's John's message. He was given a message of joy. And again, that message of joy is that God has come to forgive us or He's coming to forgive us of our sins. Salvation is coming. And all that we need to do is to repent of our sins, to trust and believe in Him. That was the message of joy. And that's the message that Israel was waiting for. And so now let's just turn, turn to a point of application for each and every one of us now. Because guess what? We too, you and I who have received salvation, also have this ministry like John the Baptist. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to finish our, our sermon here this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says this, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so a believer, if you're a believer, you are in Christ. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us, here it is, gave us, the believers, the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, this is the reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the ministry of, for me and for you. If you are a believer, according to the Apostle Paul, he says if you are in Christ... You're a new creature and old things have passed away. You have now been given the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that? That means reconciling the world to God through what Christ has done. That's our ministry now. We have been called to do that. And it, and it looks different for each of us, right? It doesn't mean you have to be a preacher or a pastor. You do it in your place of work. You do it at home. You do it in we're you know, out in the highways and byways, for lack of a better word. Wherever you are, that is what you are called to do, right? Beg people, it says. Be reconciled to God. That's the message of Christmas. God has come in the flesh with salvation for you. Be reconciled to Him. It's not enough to know that He came. You have to know Him. You have to ask for forgiveness and repent of your sins like John the Baptist said. It's, it's one thing to have the knowledge of it, but then you have to repent. You have to realize, you know, I've sinned against God and I'm not right with God and I need to be reconciled with God by believing what His Son had done for me. 
That's why it says again in 2 Corinthians verse 21, He, meaning God the Father, made Him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We don't have to act righteous or do all these righteous activities to be right with God. No, we, He's already done everything for us. We believe on Him. That's the message of joy. We don't have to work at it. We don't have to be good people. We don't have to pull ourselves up by the spiritual bootstraps and do A, B, and C. He's done it for us. We believe on Him and follow Him. That's the message that we need to share. That's the joyful message that you and I have. So we've been called to share this, the joy, and we have a joyful message, what I've just been describing. That joyful message is this, that the Messiah has already come. Right? He's already reconciled the world to Himself on the cross. And if we believe, then our trespasses are not counted against us. But again, we must repent and believe. It's not enough to just have that uh, intellectual understanding. You must believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. So we have a joyful message to tell people that the Messiah has already come. He's already reconciled the world. He's already has the ability to forgive your sins if you repent. And isn't that the hardest thing to get people to realize that they've sinned against God and that they need to repent? Right? No, they say, you know, I'm going to do some good works so that God will, will accept me. Well, he's not. If you remember what Isaiah said to ancient Israel, good works are filthy rags in the sight of God because he's done all the work through the crucifixion of his son on the cross. So our message to this world is that Messiah has already come. That's what Christmas reminds us of, is that the Messiah came. Easter reminds us that He died on the cross for our sins. But that's not the end of the message. There's something even better, similar to what John said. John says, hey, it's not just me. There's something greater. There's somebody greater coming. And we still have that same message. We have the message that the Messiah is coming again. We still have that assurance that the salvation we experience is going to come in a fuller and greater way. It's, it's a way of saying, you know what? The best is yet to come. Our salvation is going to be fully complete. Our reconciliation with God will be fully complete. Right? Our salvation is going to come in a greater sense. And that's the hope that we have, the assurance that we look forward to. So we have been called to share this joy. We have a joyful message, which I just laid out for us in my own uneducated way. And you may say, well, that's, that's hard to do, right? I mean, it's not easy to go out and just tell somebody that. You know, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. But you know what? Just like John the Baptist, we also have a helper. We have a powerful helper in the Holy Spirit. That's what um, here in 2 Corinthians in verse 20, again, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God is literally working through us in the power of His Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, that same Spirit that filled John the Baptist the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is living inside of you, and you have the power and the ability through God 
to share that message with other people. We have a powerful helper. I pray that this Christmas season you will ask God to help you share that in a way that makes sense to the people that are in your life, the people that you have influence over. Because this, as John said, or Pastor John said, that they're underlying every, is everybody knows they need the Lord. They know there's something missing in their life. They may not be able to put their hands on it at this moment, but it's the Lord that they need. And we have a lot of friends and family and coworkers that need that. I pray that God would give us the, the power and the ability and the strength and the words to go and share that message this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this, the joy of Christmas and the ability to share this joy. Lord God, we have joy. We have unspeakable joy the joy of our salvation because of what your son has done on the cross for us. He came and he lived a perfect life in place for us. He died on the cross and had his sins placed upon him for us so that we might be reconciled to you. May we not only know that intellectually, but may we believe that in our hearts. And confess that with our mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and you have raised him from the dead. And I pray, Lord, that this Christmas season, that you would put it upon each of our hearts to share that message with somebody in our lives. And it can be a scary thing to tell people about that because we are afraid of rejection and and just a bunch of things that we're afraid of doing. But I pray that you would uh, open up the doors for us and, and lead us to the right people and give us the right words to speak and the right time to say it. Maybe it's somebody even in our own household that needs to hear that. Maybe it's a son or daughter, a mother or father, a co-worker, a neighbor. Lord God, we just ask that you would just show us who to speak to and that we would trust that you would help us to share the joy this season. And Lord God, I pray also if there's somebody in this room or someone listening right now who has never experienced the joy of Christmas, I pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts, that you would open their eyes and their ears, and they would cry out to you, Lord, going, I I know about it, but now I truly want to know you. And they too, Lord God, would, would cry out for forgiveness And that they would follow you. They would commit their life to you this Christmas. And so I pray this now for them, Lord God, and anybody in this room as well. And again, we thank you for the gift of salvation. And we look forward to the day that we will experience it in its fullness in your presence for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.